The uh, sun does not always shine in West Virginia, but the people always do. I'm delighted to be here. These are historic times in Appalachia. A lot has changed, a lot is changing now, and a lot still needs to change. In our podcast, we talk with changemakers right square in the middle of all this, working to ensure the change is for the good. You're listening to Change in the Coalfields, a podcast by Coalfield Development. I'm your host, Brandon Dennison. Okay, my name is Brandon Dennison. I'm your host for Change in the Coalfields. This week, we have a friend and a colleague, Ursulette Ward, who is the executive director of Unlimited Future and uh, a close partner of Coalfield for more than a decade now. We've done a lot of work together, and welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you for having me, Brandon. I look forward to uh, spending a little bit of time together. Yeah, and we're here on the campus of Marshall University in the Eye Center, so we have a, a nice, fancy podcast set up, so we appreciate Marshall University for the support. So we might start from the beginning. Tell us a little bit about your organization and what you do, and then I want to back up and sort of hear the long version of your story for how you ended up where you are, where you grew up, what were some of those formative experiences? But before we get into all that, just in case folks don't know, Unlimited Future, what's it all about? Unlimited Future is a nonprofit microenterprise training and development center. We also have incubation space, which helps businesses get a solid foundation to starting their business. We also offer training programs that actually walks people through step-by-step what you need to do to actually start a business. And the past couple of years, we've had three main pillars that we've been focusing on, which is entrepreneurship, health and wellness, and then also ag, urban mm-hmm. ag. And those connect mm-hmm. to one another as well, right? Right. And when you say microenterprise, what, what does that mean? That's a neat phrase. Okay. Microenterprises are small businesses that can start with fewer than 10 employees, and they gotcha. take um, anywhere from $25,000 to, to $50,000 to start. Now, that doesn't mean that they stay in that range because they can actually grow and become a larger establishment. But we really focus on the real small mom-and-pop businesses. Gotcha. Which, if, you know, if you were to poll people, what's your favorite business or what business has made the biggest impact on you? Those mom and pops yes. rise to the top quite a bit, right? Yes, they do. Actually, I got my first job right out of high school. My first painting job was actually a mom and pop restaurant in uh, Logan County where I was raised called Cherico's Restaurant. Love that. Perfect segue. So tell us about growing up in Logan County. What were some of the formative experiences there that, that really made you who you are today? Well, it was a small, very close-knit community. Actually, I was raised about 30 minutes away from the city of Logan in a little place called Omar, West Virginia, in Pine Creek Holler. Pine (laughs) Creek Holler. Pine Creek Holler. So it actually sits at the bottom of a mining temple. So our house was actually right beside the train tracks. So I experienced lots of trains running by at any time, day or night. So I got used to being able to sleep through loud noises. Didn't even bother you. And it doesn't even bother me. My mom says, the only thing that'll wake you up is the telephone. That's because you like to talk on the phone. (laughs) (laughs) But I can actually sleep through pretty much anything still to this day. Would you, as a kid, something my brothers and I would do, we'd put coins on the railroad tracks and it would the train would flatten them out yes yes but don't tell my mom because she used to get upset that was against the rules you weren't supposed to do that yes (laughs) but me and my cousin curtis would often do that yes it had to have been a really interesting 
place. I mean, if you like to be outside, which sounds like you did, mm-hmm. what a fun place to grow up. Yeah, I can remember me and my cousin going up a little ways up the hall or past where we live and catching tadpoles in the creek and putting our feet in the water. And it was just fun. It was it was a time where our parents didn't necessarily have to wonder about where we were mm-hmm. and what was or anything happening to safe. us because everybody in the holler knew who everybody belonged to and what you, we were and we're not supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. Which, um, yeah. For often, better or worse. For better or worse. <laughs> Sometimes. A lot of eyes. Yes, you get in trouble with the neighbor, and then by the time you got back home, you got in trouble again with your parents <laughs> for being an embarrassment of getting in trouble with uh-huh. the neighbor. So we we spent a lot of times outside, a lot of times at our, we had a community basketball court and tennis court, which is where I learned how to roller skate. We played basketball there and tennis. We actually, at one point in time, had a little arcade room where mm-hmm. we could go and uh, do arcade things. So was that it, like a like a community center? No, it was just a, a just building a with arcade games in it. Yeah, gotcha. Yep. So we had some really fun, interesting times. Fun place to grow up. Was there anything hard about growing up in a holler in Logan County? I guess the hardest thing there was, which is something that still plagues us today, is me and my cousin were the only African American family in the community. Mm. So sometimes that that was difficult being different. Sure. Or the only one. Sure. I think a lot of times people who not from West Virginia just assume there's no people of color in right. West Virginia. Mm-hmm. And certainly our percentages are lower than some bigger cities, our percentages of minorities. But right. there's lots of more diversity in West Virginia than a lot of people realize. And a lot of times I've heard minorities who grew up in West Virginia say it's like you're a minority within a minority. So West Virginia is a rural state, small state. We get picked on already then to, to, to look different or be a person of color. And, you know, I can imagine that could feel isolating at times. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was. And it was really prevalent when I was deemed the first African-American cheerleader in 32 years at our high school. Really? So, <laughs> yeah. Wow. When I look over, like, when we talk about career-wise, it was kind of like that was my battle cry, has been my battle cry before I ever even knew of such a thing. Mm. When I was involved in direct sales for over 20 years now, I was one of the first to actually earn a car here in this area that was African-American. That's been over 16 years ago, though. And now I am the first African-American leader to lead our organization at Unlimited Future. So that that seems to be the tag that I got stuck with. (laughs) You can't help (laughs) yourself. Yeah, I can't help myself. (laughs) And that's amazing and incredible, and I'm sure at times hard, too. Yes, it is. But actually being raised in a small area gives you, affords you the opportunity to build skills that you maybe wouldn't in a larger Mm -hmm. area, Mm -hmm. and you kind of learn how to work around some of those obstacles and stuff that some people face in a larger area. They don't have the support that they need to be able to really build relationships and bonds and learn how to maneuver in the system. Sure. And that speaks to your grit and persistence to to learn, and rather than be beaten down by how hard it is to learn from it, Mm -hmm. grow stronger from it, that speaks to your character. Well, thank you. Well, I hope to be an inspiration to other people. And if I can do it, anybody can. (laughs) You are are absolutely an inspiration. Guarantee it. Thank you. For somebody who's listening who's maybe never been to Logan County, you talk about being by a coal track near coal tipple. Just how dominant, when I say Logan County coal industry, 
What does that make you think? That's pretty much the economic driver Mm -hmm. of, or was at one time when I was growing up. That was actually what brought my family here. My great-grandfather was one of the first black foreman of a coal mining in Logan. So, and then my uncle was a coal miner. So it's just the heart of the community. And Logan in Omar especially was, that was the coal mining hauler. A lot Mm. of the men that worked in that community actually raised their family. There was a general store at the end of the corner where if you needed something, you could go get things on tab. And Miss Ernestine would actually, you know, you had credit mm-hmm. <laughs> at the at the at the corner store. Mm-hmm. And that was just pretty much the heartbeat of the the community there. Mm-hmm. It's just sort of, I think it's hard for people who haven't been to West Virginia, especially during Cole's heyday. It's you know, it's mm-hmm. on the decline now, no yeah. doubt. But it's just uh everywhere you look, you know, everywhere you turn it's just coal. It's just, a, it's like a fact of life. Yeah, it is. And when when I think about the location of the area, it was like Omar was here and then 15 or tw- not even 15 minutes up the road, there was a place called Cow Creek, which also was another coal mine was there. So within that probably maybe a 20 or 30 mile radius in that area, there was, I would say, at least four different coal mines in that area where People raised, you know, raised their family and actually were prosperous. And I can remember kids that I grew up with saying, well, it really doesn't matter what I learn in school because I'm going to go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't need this stuff anyway because as soon as I graduate from high school, my dad or my uncle has a job waiting for me in the coal mines. Yeah, and that's catching up with us now. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it was true. You could, you could earn $80,000 as a coal miner. Right. And with a high school degree. And that's less and less true now. And, and a lot of the good paying jobs today do require more education. And I feel like we've got some catch up to do. Yeah, I, I do, too. And that's one of the things that I'm excited about when we look at the, our business industry is we're actually starting to go back to our roots and look at other ways to where we can make our economy more green. Mm-hmm. So I see a, a larger focus on green solar businesses in the area, which is good. I mean, it's taken us a long time to mm-hmm. get there with that mental shift because everybody just thought cold was was superior over everything. And I think the more education that's been brought to our area, we have started to realize that there's other resources that are, yep. are very valuable here that can be found in our area. It is a shift, though. I mean, you say it's mm-hmm. a mental shift. It's an emotional shift. Mm-hmm. It's an identity shift. It, it's, uh, it does not happen overnight. Yes, it is because coal miners are very proud people. I mean, right. and you've got generations of generations of, of families that that's who they are. That's how they identify themselves. So what did being a cheerleader teach you about business and leadership and <sighs> life? <laughs> Show up even when you don't feel like it. You, that's a great lesson. <laughs> that, that's probably the biggest thing. And also teamwork is because yeah. your single part that you play actually impacts the whole entire team. So those are the two lessons I would say. So teamwork and actually showing up even when you don't feel like it. Because there's sometimes I don't, want, I don't feel like it. Even though I love my job, there's just times you just don't want to get up and do it. Yeah. But when you're driven with a mission to help other people and you know that they need you, it, it helps get your own ego out of the way and mm-hmm. it allows you to push forward and continue to do what you know you're supposed to be doing. 
Yeah, absolutely. What are Friday night football games in Logan County like? Well, the Allen, which is where our school is, it's pretty packed. Yeah. Friday night football was a was a big thing. And so is basketball too. I oh, can yeah. remember a, a lot, lot of, of good basketball players out of Logan. A lot of athletes, good athletes come from from Logan. And actually I have to commend our basketball team. The last time we won a championship, triple A basketball championship was the year that I graduated, which was in nineteen ninety one. So the girls though <laughs> just this year they did the girls basketball team this year won championship. So That's we're great. I'm proud of them. So it's it's funny as you look back, the things that you remember over the course of time. That's funny. So I remember cheering to a pack stand. It was nothing to go to a football game and there be standing room only. And even then it'd be packed like sardines yep. uh, on the island. So we always, people used to hate to come there because it was one Tough way place in. To play. <laughs> <laughs> it was one way in and one way out. So, <laughs> and we were known to get rowdy every now and yeah. then, <laughs> especially if the game didn't go our way. So, <laughs> so then, so, all right, so you. Uh, had a good high school experience, and then where did life take you? Actually, I went up to the northern part of the state, up to Fairmont State University, mm-hmm. and I studied there for about a year and a half, and then I moved back down here to Huntington to be closer to my friend. At that time, I got pregnant at an early age. I was had my first child at 21, so I didn't want to move back to Logan, mm-hmm. and but I wanted to be close enough to where if I wanted to go get a calzone, I could do so. <laughs> So this Huntington was an up-and-coming place, and it was just enough distance from the parenting eye of my mom and dad, but close enough to my girlfriend because she was just across the bridge over in South Point, Ohio, Gotcha. to where I could be to her quickly also. Have a support system. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, do you still have family in Logan? No. Actually, finally, I got my mom. My dad is deceased. And probably about 10 years ago, I finally got my mom to move out of the holler. Not that she wanted to. It was, it was a real struggle. She had open-heart surgery, and I got a phone call. I was at work at UFI, and they said, we're taking your mom to Charleston, and she's got to have open-heart surgery. Mm. So she came to stay with me for about a year after that. And she was like, in Huntington. In Huntington. And I was like, she's like, I want to go home. I don't like it here. She didn't like the big city. (laughs) I don't like it here in Huntington. I want to go back to my house. So I made a deal with her. I said, okay, you can go back as long as you, we had a list, you do these things. And, you know, we talk pretty much every day. And she was like, well, there's nothing wrong with my mental faculties. And I can walk and I can still drive and I can take care of myself. She says, I'm going back home. So I called my brother, and my brother was like, well, just let her go back home. (laughs) He's five years older than me, so she listens to him a lot better than she does me. Okay. Took her back home, and probably within six or eight months, Logan was hit with a huge flood, and I got another phone call. We have your mother on a boat. She's okay, (laughs) but it's flooded, and we are taking her to the fire station, and that's where she will be until the water resides. After that... I put my foot down and I was like, okay, I cannot take, emotionally, I cannot take another phone call with you being almost two hours away from me and me, you being in an emergency situation and I can't physically get to you to help you. So I called my brother again. We were like, mom, you've got two choices. You can move with Timmy and go where he is or you can come to Huntington with, with me. So she chose Huntington because she said, 
my son's not going to take care of me. <laughs> she, so she stayed with me for a very short time when she came back. She got her own apartment, and she's been on, on her own ever since. But she does not. She still says, I don't particularly like Huntington. I would like to go back to the holler. I was like, okay. West Virginians are, we get, we get rooted in our places. <laughs> yes. For sure. And she's very stubborn and she's very resilient. And I can't say anything because I get some of those attributes from her too. (laughs) How scary was that flood though? It was very scary. It's not the first time. It's the first time in a long time, but the area is known for really bad, severe flooding. You know, that's an aspect of West Virginia history. A lot of people forget, I mean, a lot of Mm -hmm. very significant Flooding, mm-hmm. tide, you know, strip mining makes it more prevalent. Our landscape naturally makes it more prevalent. Climate change is making it yes. more common. Mm-hmm. So it's an important aspect of Appalachia that maybe gets overlooked. Right. So how did you get into being a business person? That's a really good question. So at first, I'd have to say direct sales. So when I had my first child, I began my personal development journey on improving myself. I was raised in a very dysfunctional home. My father suffered from substance abuse with alcohol. Mm. It's tough. So I didn't want to pass those traits along to my children. So one of the things that I... I thought was I wanted to not be the angry person that I was 20 years ago. So oftentimes when I tell this story, everybody's like, well, I can't believe that you were ever angry or bitter. But I was. I was very hot-headed. I would argue and fight at the drop of a hat, Mm. which I didn't want to pass those traits along to my child. So that is really what started me on my personal development journey which ended me up at UFI because I wanted to start a business. So the business is like an extension of your healing and your development. So I started a training development company called Fresh Horizons. And actually a friend of mine saw the ad in the paper and was like, you need to go take this class. So I went and took the class and it's funny, but... At UFI? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I right. was actually, when I say I have been every single position <laughs> at UFI, I have been every <laughs> single position at UFI except for the janitor, and it's not because I don't clean. <laughs> <laughs> but I have. I'm from student all the way up. So I started Fresh Horizons, which is a personal development company for women, teaching them how to empower themselves to achieve their hopes, goals, and dreams. And out of that, I was offered, we used to do at Unlimited Future what was called a bartering system. So you could come in and do survey calls, follow-up phone calls with the businesses that have taken our class, the planning for profit class, and you would get either subsidized or free room space. So I... Oh, for providing services to UFI, Mm -hmm. you could barter for access to the services. Right. Gotcha. So I did that for about a year. I did follow-up phone calls for a space in the building, and people would come, and they would have makeovers in my space. So then the secretary left, and the executive director was like, well, you're here actually more than some of the people that are on our (laughs) payroll. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Do you, would you like to have a part-time job and be the receptionist? And I was like, well, yeah, I am here. She's like, you can do the same thing you're, you're doing, except you can keep your room. That'll be a benefit. And you actually get a paycheck. 
I was like, okay, that's great. So <laughs> <Deal>. I worked. <laughs> deal. I worked from ten until two, Monday through Friday, for a long time, and then the training director left, and then my mentor, Gail Patton, came in, and she was the training director, and she taught the training classes, and then. Our executive director left, and Gail took the executive director position, and she was like, well, since you already do training and education, why don't you just offer that now for UFI, and we'll give you a little bit of raise, and you'll go from part-time to full-time. So I was like, okay, that sounds good. (laughs) Deal again. (laughs) Deal. So um, I did that for several years and just continued to work, and then I became the deputy director um, and then after the deputy director, I did that, I think, for three years. And then Gail decided that she wanted to retire um, against my will. But she did it anyway. <laughs> so I've been the executive director now for two years. I've had the luxury of working with Gail quite a bit, too. Just a wonderful person who's achieved a lot for this community. Can you mm-hmm. talk about what you've learned from Gail and what she's meant to you? The biggest lessons I—well, a couple— Well, one of them. One of them I can't probably share on air. (laughs) One of the biggest lessons is don't allow your personal emotions or feelings towards someone else get in the way of achieving the mission. So no matter whether you like that person or not, it's about getting the work done and helping the people that you were meant to help serve. It's a great lesson. Yeah. So that was probably my big, and I still say that today. I find myself saying that to my my staff. Doesn't matter whether we like them or not, whether they hurt our feelings. We 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 can't allow that to stand in the way of getting in or actually achieving the mission, which is to help serve the people that were placed in our path to serve. Absolutely, servant heart. Yes. And she really just invested in you, your career, you she as a did. person. Mm-hmm. Truly cared about you. She did. And many others in this community. She actually wrote um, a letter for me, like a reference letter for me to get into grad school. Mm-hmm. That was like one of her mm-hmm. last things that she did before she left. But yes, she has. We developed more of a friendship than right. a coworker right. experience. Yeah. So what's going on with entrepreneurship in Huntington and in Appalachia right now? What's, what's there to be excited about related to entrepreneurship and what are some concerns that you have? There's a lot to be excited about. There's a ton of resources that people can gain access to. And probably the biggest thing that I've noticed in the resource world is actually there's more collaboration, I think, than there has ever been in my whole 13, 14 year span of working with individuals. When I first started working at Unlimited Future, I noticed there was things were very territorial. Everybody was had their own little box. Mm. And it was like, this is my box. And I don't you take your marbles and go over there and you play in you stay in your uh, box. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't, don't come here in this space. And there wasn't a lot of sharing and collaboration of resources or capacity in the sense of there's not one organization that can do everything well. I mean, right. It, it's just, just not have to be honest. Yes, it's just not possible. But people weren't willing to say, well, go over there and see Brandon because Brandon does that, what you're looking for, really, really well. That's not our expertise here at Unlimited Mm -hmm. Future. So the one thing that I really think that is an asset to us is that we are actually starting to build a collaborative ecosystem where we are starting to share those resources among our own network with for our clients to better our clients, which is is a great 
attribute to them because you gain more the more people you can work with, the different perspectives that are brought to the table, the greater the client will gain. Mm. What are you concerned about? Well, probably my biggest concern, especially here recently, is the instability of our broadband system mm. here in the in the area. And still we have in pockets of our area a reluctance to change, mm-hmm. even though it's not as you know, as big as it was, even sometimes that little bit of resistance, and it seems to be in the with individuals that carry the most influence and authority, mm. and oftentimes that can be a hindrance and continue to hold our area back, I think. What do you think's at the root of that reluctance? Fear. Mm. I think they're afraid that if I allow somebody else in, they may, they may get a little bit of what I have or more, yeah. and... I think our mindset should be we should help always be looking to help someone else gain more than what we did. Grow the whole pie, right? Mm-hmm. Not squabble over yeah. little slices. Yeah. You've you've worked with a lot of entrepreneurs. Is there a favorite actually? Or or maybe I shouldn't ask you for it. That's like asking if you have a favorite child. But yeah. is there a I like to say I like all of you just <laughs> I like I dislike all of you equally. That's what I tell because my kids like to ask me that. And I say, yeah. nope, I dislike Let me flip that all on of you. you equally. <laughs> yeah. Are there some entrepreneurs you've worked with that have particularly inspired you or surprised you? Yes. And I probably know their business more so than our, their name because I get so entrenched. Part of what you have to do is put that individual what mm. you see off to the side and really right. get to the heart of helping them with their business. But there has there has been a couple very surprising. When people come in, sometimes you kind of think, hmm, I don't know that that's going to work, yeah. <laughs> you know. Sure. But I've learned over the time, never, ever judge a book by its cover because mm. it's often been those individuals that I've kind of had that little thought of, hmm, I wonder if. Are they really going to be able to pull this off? Because they had all the odds stacked against them for whatever reason. And right. sometimes it's not even by their own choice. It was just like the cards, the they, cards were they were dealt, and they're dealing with those cards the best that they can. But those are the ones that have the most grit, perseverance, are the ones, in the, are the ones that stay the course to really get it done. That's cool. Yeah. You've shown a lot of grit and perseverance. You mentioned a car, so I'm thinking that's got to be Avon. No, actually, it was a Mary Kay car. Or Mar- okay, yeah. sorry, sorry. I'm confusing my... I'm not <laughs> a makeup a good, expert. That's okay. <laughs> um, it was... They don't even offer the car that I won. It was a Grand Am, so that... They don't even make Grand Ams anymore, so that tells you how long ago that was. <laughs> so, yes. And I've, I have earned different types of trips with organizations, of, that I've been involved with in other direct sales companies as well. What does it take to be a good salesperson? What's the what's the magic? Well, you got to really want to help the other person meet a need that they have and find find their need and then fill that need. Mm-hmm. And it has to be a genuine need. You can't go in with dollar signs in your eyes. You have to really be there to help mm-hmm. and have a service mentality. That's great. And that might surprise some people. You know, it's not just about get the sale. Mm -mm. You know, it's about empathizing with the customer and finding a connection point that's actually truly valuable to them. Right. And listening and and hearing what what it is that they really want and how 
what you offer can benefit them. And if it can't, be a big enough person to say what what I offer. Don't it, force it. it. Yeah, it's not going to work. That it, What we do is not going to help you. Mm-hmm. And actually, if you know of somebody else, it's just like with the, with the nonprofit world. If you know somebody else that does it better, send it to them because you'll get rewarded in the long run. So what's on the horizon for UFI? What are some big priorities and initiatives that you have right now? Well, we've got Urban Ag Initiative that we are, that we've just partner with you with Cofield Development that we've kicked off. We've got West Virginia Faster Training that we have still been working on with providing people throughout the region education and training about starting a business. And we look at our vision is really to see a thriving local economy supported by locally owned businesses. And that is what we truly, my heart's desire is to allow people to know that if you want to own a business and you want to be successful, you have the ability to do so. But, and also don't be afraid to ask for help. Yeah. Don't let our pride get in the way, right? Yeah. How about for, you know, not just in the, UFI primarily serves the Huntington. Since the pandemic, we've kind of opened up to where we've gone virtual to where we will serve anywhere within the tri-state. And we've actually had people that have come in the past from Ohio and also um, Kanawha City up in Charleston as well. So, and now with things being virtual, we have people all over the place now. The impact Mm -hmm. expands. That's great. Yeah. If you could go back to Omar Mm -hmm. and speak to a young girl growing up there, maybe she's a cheerleader. What would you say? My advice would be never give up, know what your dream is, and don't listen to anybody that is going to deter you from your dream. It's a great message. And and I will ask too, I mean, um, joy, a lot of successes. You've also mentioned, you know, some, some hard points as well, but it, you have such a grace about that. You mentioned, you know, you used to have some anger, but now it's like a, a, a learning in a, in a healing place maybe for someone else in Logan or West Virginia who's in a home where there's substance use disorder, what advice would you have in that situation? Not to hide, to talk about it to somebody. That's huge. Mm -hmm. Not bottle it up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is is that what you did or did you have to sort of learn that in time? It was pretty much what we were taught because what went on in our household was supposed to stay in our household. It wasn't until probably... Well, actually, right before I had my son, my oldest child, before I ever told anybody what our family life was like. Wow. Yeah. So it's a lot yeah. of healing to, yeah. to happen there. I just admire your, you know, your grit and your grace. It's uh, what gives me hope, you know, people throughout Appalachia showing grit and grace and perseverance and becoming entrepreneurs, becoming leaders. It's amazing, Ursula, honestly. It, it really is when you look at what people have accomplished in this area and and some people don't even realize what they do is on, is a form of entrepreneurship. I agree totally with that, yeah. You know, and when you tell them, no, you could make money off of doing that, they they look at you like you've grown a third eye in your head. They're like, no, no, I just, just do this for fun. And so really opening up people's mindset to not only um, changing their mindset for the positive, but also for them to see themselves as an entrepreneur because it's not something that we were taught. Entrepreneurship is, is not 
a skill. Usually when people think of entrepreneurship, it's like, okay, if you can't go to college and get a degree, you can always sell something. It's like a fallback thing. Right. It's like a fallback thing. So, but there's pride in being able to provide for yourself based off of your own hands and resources of things that you have put together yourself. And the knowledge that you have, just your personal life experience could be something to help somebody else going through a a troubled situation or just being able to manage your time. Somebody else needs to know that skill set and you may be able to provide that to somebody. I've at conferences and such, I've talked about entrepreneurship as like the future of Appalachia, the hope for the Appalachian economy. And sometimes I get skepticism and pushback and people say, well, you know, West Virginia has one of the lowest startup rates in the country. You know, capital is not available in West Virginia. You know, the, the, you don't have a population base in West Virginia that you need, you know, for a lot of different business kinds. You don't have the infrastructure. You mentioned the broadband that you need to be, you know, have viable markets. But a lot of times what I, res- I feel like maybe we don't have a lot of business owners, with resources, but I think we really do have that entrepreneurial mindset and that entrepreneurial spirit that says, I'm going to use what I do have. Maybe it's not much. Maybe it looks like a pile of junk in a yard to a visitor, but to me, I can put that together in some interesting ways and, and create something and create something out of it. Yes. And, and my pushback always is, you know, West Virginia has everything, every large, city, urban city has, it just has it on a smaller scale. Mm. We have the same entrepreneurs that you have in your city. It may be on a smaller number, but for our area, they're making the greatest impact. And it's important to our local economy. And one of the things I have to say is that during this pandemic that has been brought out is our small businesses are truly the heartbeat of our economy. Not only here in West Virginia, yep. but in worldwide. Yep. And I think people really started to see that. We take them for granted. <laughs> and we often take them for granted because the real driving force of our economy is through small business. Amen. And you're a leader and you're a, a force behind that drive. So I, I just admire everything you're doing. My final question I ask all guests, um, what are the biggest changes you've seen in Appalachia over the course of your life and your career? And what are the biggest changes you've not seen yet, but you hope to see, you know, things that still need to change? Probably the biggest change, like I said, is the move towards green energy and solar. That has been a huge change. And I say that it's not just our residents changing. It's actually moved up to the legislative level. Now there's laws being put into place and benefits where business owners, if they actually do certain things and their business is more green friendly, they actually can gain tax benefits. So it's mm. it's actually progressed up the chain of command, which is re- a real eye-opener yep. to people in the areas when the legislative starts paying attention to what it is that you're doing. Sure. <laughs> so, probably what I'd like to see more of is individuals here in this area not beating themselves up mm. and having a more positive out- outlook on life and being proud that they're from West Virginia because it is something to be proud of. And the grit and determination, you don't find the grit in other areas that you do here. You don't find that 
will and desire to do and to be and to have and to show up no matter what. You do find that here. And I think that's a cultural thing. I love it. Thank you for everything that you you do for our community. You are an inspiration. Uh, you're an incredible leader. I love working Thank with you. you. I value our collaboration. I look forward to many more years of it. I do too. Thank you so much. All right. This has been Changing the Coalfields. We've had uh, an incredible guest, Ursula Ward, Executive Director of Unlimited Future, and uh, your website? Unlimitedfuture.org. Go there to learn more, and we'll look forward to next week. Thank you. Thank you. Change in the Coalfields is a podcast created by Coalfield Development in the hills and hollers of West Virginia. This episode was hosted by Brandon Dennison and produced and edited by JJN Multimedia. Become a part of our mission to rebuild the Appalachian economy by going to our website, coalfield-development.org, to make a donation. You can email us anytime at info at coalfield-development.org and subscribe to our newsletter for more information on the podcast. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn by searching Coalfield Development. Check back soon for more episodes.